Um, well, you can take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke. We're going to be in Luke this morning. <clears throat> We're in Luke this morning. Um, why are y'all looking at me like that? Like, what, what's wrong? Like, you, are, you, are you making fun of me? Are you mocking me right now? Like, are you mocking my attire? All right, like, how many of you, I, I, can, can we just be honest in church? Um, are we okay being honest in church? How many of you right now, being honest, how many of you in your minds are uh, mocking my attire and judging me? How many? Thank you for being honest. Shame on you uh, for judging me like that, and shame on the rest of you for lying. Um, I did this actually on purpose. Um, I just kind of wanted to test you uh, and, and see how you would respond. Uh, church is supposed to be a judgment-free zone, but I kind of feel like there's a whole lot of judging going on uh, right here. And we're starting a new series um, uh, where we want to take a good hard look at what kind of a church we really are and specifically how we treat people. And based on the looks you're giving me, we're off to a really great start. Uh, so I saw some of you taking pictures. Um, go ahead and post your shameful and judgmental behavior all over the internet. We're okay with that. Um, we, we want to take a good hard look at this, and, and do, do you need to post this as well? Is that what needs to happen? Okay, like I understand everybody just wants to judge here. I, I, listen, uh, what would happen if somebody came in sincerely dressed like this to church? Would you be okay with that? Like, would, would, would you have something that you would be thinking in your mind if somebody decided to do that? Yes, okay, at least we're uh, being honest this morning. Today we're uh, especially interested in how we respond to people coming into our community that are different than us, who bring their baggage and they make us uncomfortable. And, and um, here's, here's what we're trying to be. We want to be a church that welcomes without judgment. Are we a church like that here at Harvest? And I'm just going to take this off because I realize that most of you, uh, while you're turning to Luke chapter 7, I realize that most of you are not going to be able to handle it and uh, not think that I look like an idiot and be judging me. So Luke chapter 7, you're actually lucky. I almost wore my uh, Tom Brady Patriots jersey up here. See, there you go, judging again. Um. We really need to work. We need to work on this, okay? So in, in Luke chapter 7, we are going to look at a lesson that Jesus had to teach on welcoming without judgment. Luke chapter 7, we're actually going to start in verse 36 and go to the end of the chapter. So if you have your Bible with me, uh, you follow along as I read uh, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Luke said, One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, 
And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You can just hear the judgment dripping off of his tongue right there, right? And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we love your word. We love this moment that we can be together and worshiping you. We want to hear from you. And, and we are concerned about this. We are concerned that we would be a church that would welcome without judgment. This is what we want to do. Uh, would you teach us, make us more like our Savior Jesus? Thank you for being a welcoming God. Speak to us even this morning. We'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we want to be a church that welcomes without judgment. And if we want to do that, then we need to learn this. Uh, write this down. Uh, when you don't know Christ, you judge without humility. When you don't know Christ, you judge without humility. Okay, so we've got this scene here where we have a Pharisee and we know that his name is Simon. We get that from verse 40 and Simon shows up to Jesus and says, hey, come on over, come on over for dinner. And the crazy thing is, Jesus goes. I mean, he, he probably would have shocked some people at this point because it usually doesn't go well between Jesus and the Pharisees, right? They're like the worst sort of hypocrites, and they've already been complaining about his ministry, and, and um, they're eventually going to, like, he's going to call them out, and they're going to want to try to kill him, and so we're not exactly expecting them to hang out on pizza night, so that's kind of crazy, but then the scene gets even sillier because Something totally unexpected interrupts them. Someone barges in on their dinner party. Look at verse 37. Luke says it was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now tell me, um, what, based on Luke's description, uh, what does that tell you about her? Uh, what do you think he means by a woman of the city? I'm just telling you that's not um, that's not an encouragement, okay? That's not a compliment. Uh, when he says a 
a woman of the city, it would be like us saying a woman of the world or a woman of the streets. And so um, what do you think is her occupation possibly? Are we allowed to say this in church? It's probably a prostitute. How many of you have ever talked to a prostitute? Okay, I don't think that I've ever talked to a prostitute. Um, it's possible. I mean, I, I, I may have. I, I just didn't even realize it. I mean, if I did, she certainly wasn't on the job at the time. Is this uncomfortable to talk about? Because if it is, then just imagine how uncomfortable it was for a really religious guy to have a woman of the night show up at his house and start weeping at the feet of his dinner guest. And what in the world is she doing? Like, here she comes, like, crying, bawling her eyes out all over him and, like, wiping her feet with his head. Is this, like, some sort of pedicure? I mean, I know they do some weird stuff at, at... the spa. How many of you like to go to a spa? You say, okay, I figured so. Uh, like, listen, I think it's kind of odd, some of the things that they do. Like piling up hot rocks on your back or the whole like cucumber on the eye thing. That's strange. Agreed? Agreed? So, but, but here, like, here is this woman and, and, and she starts weeping, crying on his feet, uh, putting some sort of oil on them and then wiping his feet with her hair. Is that not weird? I mean, uh, how many of you have ever thought, man, I'd love to take a bath in somebody's tears? And and the idea of maybe I would get my toes stuck in their hair. It's kind of gross, right? Anybody else wondering, like, what is going on here? Well, this woman is overwhelmed in Jesus' presence. And she wants to honor him. And it was customary for them to um, wash feet in those days. You, I mean, you probably, you know this, that they're wearing sandals around and so their feet are dirty and so that was kind of customary. But the problem is, she's breaking protocol in how she does it. That's not the normal way that we take care of somebody's feet and it, it, it's kind of shocking the way she's doing it. In fact, it actually reveals that she is unashamed in her adoration of Jesus. She doesn't care. She does not care that this is breaking protocol and that this is weird and people are looking at her strange. It doesn't matter. She wants to worship Christ. Is that not beautiful? Come on, tell me, how many people think that Jesus is worthy of worship? He's worthy of it. But this worship is kind of contrasted by Simon. You see it there in verse 39. Simon, when he saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon is not welcoming uh, her into his house, and so instead of getting excited when he sees someone coming into worship, what's, what's he doing? Tell me, what's he doing? He's judging her, isn't he? He is so distracted by judgmental thoughts that he can't recognize the beauty of her worship. Hey, Harvest, we got to be careful not to be a church like this. I don't want to, I actually don't want to reprimand you. I don't want to, I, 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 I want to challenge you, but uh, I actually want to commend you because 
Um, one of the things that's one of the most important things I do is on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm following up with the people that have come for the first time and they've just experienced worshiping with us. And, uh, and I will ask them, you know, how was your experience? And I want to tell you that often I hear people say, you know what, I felt really and warmly welcomed here. So thank you. Thank you guys for helping with that. And we want to make sure that this is so deeply rooted in the fabric of our community that it will never change. That we would welcome. And I'm telling you, you are going to be tempted to be distracted by judgmental thoughts. Because people are going to come in here and they are going to break protocol. Okay, We kind of have a MO about how we do worship here. You, maybe you don't even realize it, but we know, and, and it's pretty obvious when somebody else comes in here and they're not used to this. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're not used to this whole church thing. You know what I'm talking about? I want to show you a scene from the upcoming movie in Gavin Stone. Uh, this uh, is an opportunity for you to see uh, someone, Gavin, who he clearly doesn't get the whole church thing. Didn't grow up in it. And watch what happens when the new guy gets called on to pray. Watch this. Leave me hanging. That's for me. Hey, hey, hey. It's oh, here. Nice. Deep dish. Gavin, you want to pray it up? Huh? Pray before we crush this. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, guys, let's take a knee. <clears throat> Dear God, as we head into battle mm. each day, we know it will not be easy. Mm. Mm -hmm. But even though our enemies, like the devil, may try to take away our lives, mm -hmm. they will never take away our freedom. Oh. Yeah. And thank you for this glorious feast of cheese and bread pizza, and fellowship. Amen. 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 All right, then. How many of you ever heard somebody pray like this? Yes? And what do you do? We start judging them, don't we? We're like, how? Did they not get this? And, and hey, listen, the Pharisee is judging this woman because she's a prostitute. But we tend to start judging people based on how they pray. I mean, did you hear what he said in the middle of his prayer? He was quoting Braveheart. That movie's rated R. <laughs> Not that I've ever seen that movie, right? right? People are going to come in here, and they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to say, and they are not going to know how to act. Hey, can we be okay with that? Can we be okay with that? They have never sung a Chris Tomlin song in their life. And they don't know where to find Genesis in the Bible. And listen, they're going to bring all sorts of messes. They're going to bring their language. They're going to bring their bigotry. They're going to bring their addictions. They're going to bring their broken relationships. They're going to post explicit content on social media. And they're going to be loose with their morals and loose with their gossip and loud with their political rants. And hey, hey, can we welcome without judgment? Can we be a church like that? We're going to have to guard against jumping to judgmental conclusions because you have no idea 
where these people are coming from or what they've faced. Do you? But someone does. God knows, doesn't he? Which is strange because Simon, right here in verse 39, shows that he has some really bad theology. Look what he said again. If this man were a prophet, so um, he's assuming, he's demonstrating that he really just doesn't know Jesus at all. He's assuming that if Jesus, uh, uh, he must not know who she is and what, he's, what she's like. Because otherwise he would be a prophet, right? So he can't be a prophet, which is a really ignorant assumption to make about the Son of God, wouldn't you say? So what he's demonstrating is that he doesn't know a couple things about Christ. One, he doesn't know Christ's omniscience. He doesn't know Christ's omniscience. That's a really big word. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a definition of omniscience. Um, It just means this. God knows everything. God knows everything. And I know for some of you that, like, you're really impressed by that, and some of you are like, ho-hum, like, like, whatever. But the more you think about that, we've got a problem then, don't we? Because he knows us, like really knows us. God in his omniscience sees and knows all of our faults, all of our warts, all of our sins. And he knows us better than we do ourselves. God's omniscience is kind of like a light that we can't hide from. And it's exposing us completely and utterly. But how often do we like to live like we're hiding and safe in the darkness and nobody knows our secrets? Nobody knows what we're doing. And we try to, I, I, like we realize we all have like that closet, right? That we try to hide stuff in. We don't, we keep that touch shut, t- shut tight. We don't want anybody looking into that, right? We don't want, I don't want anybody to see uh, what I have hiding in there. And you don't want people to know about that night in college or uh, those inappropriate texts on your phone or to see your internet history or, or uh, as long as nobody from your small group hears the language that you're using or the jokes that you're telling around the office. Like, don't want anybody to see that, right? We, we want to keep that hidden and we kind of comfort ourselves with the fact that we think that everybody's got a, a closet where they're hiding something. And I mean, if we're honest, like everybody kind of wakes up rough in the morning, but we clean up pretty good, right? And there's, there's no humility in that. And so what Simon, this Pharisee, wants to do is he wants to turn a spotlight on the woman's sin so that he can judge her. He's like, man, I'm not like her. I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like that, right? Anybody ever played the comparison game? You know what I'm talking about, right? The comparison game where we start to compare ourselves to other people. We love to play the comparison game because it's rigged so that we'll always win. Because we easily look around and we nitpick and we find people's faults and we can always find somebody that's worse than us. And as soon as we do, what do we do with those people? What do we do? We we judge them, don't we? We judge them. This is the Big Larry, as seen on TV. Got it for Christmas, pretty sweet. Even comes with like a cool little belt buckle thing. Like, now I'm really cool, right? Like, isn't that awesome? Stop judging me. This is the big, I, I realize that this might be painful for some of you, and I'm really sorry, but this is kind of what we do when we judge people, okay? 
We shine a light and expose their faults, their sins. Do you see that? Do you see what they're like? Can you, can you believe that they do that? And why do we love to expose other people's sins? Why do we love to shine a spotlight on somebody else's sins? Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. Like, when I, when I hold this up, um, if, I'm, if you're, like, staring right at it, and I'm, I know this is kind of painful, can you see me when I do that? Barely, right? It's kind of high. So simultaneously, what I'm doing is I am exposing you and hiding in the shadows so that you look bad, I look better, or at least I feel better about myself. It's really just hypocritical. And it's really kind of rude, isn't it? It's being a coward. But the reality is that God sees and knows everything about us. You know that the reality is that I'm exposed. God sees and he knows everything about me. It's kind of a scary thought until I realize that he knows it all and he still welcomes me. So Jesus, right here, knows exactly what this woman has done. He knows it all. He saw all of those dark nights in the shadows. He knows all of her sins. He knows all of her secrets. He knows it all. But the reason that Simon assumes that Jesus couldn't have known this is because he also assumes that if Jesus did know everything about this woman, that there is no way that he would have let her off the hook without judging and condemning her. Because he makes the assumption that Jesus thinks and responds just like we do. And it's because not only does Simon not know Jesus' omniscience, but he doesn't know his grace. He doesn't know Christ's grace. God's grace is scandalous, isn't it? How could he welcome and love and forgive the worst of sinners? How could he do this? They're horrible people. How could he do that? And yet, it's also humbling because the more I come and expose and I walk into the light and the exposure of God and his word, I begin to see my own faults and I realize his grace kind of puts me in my place because I don't deserve it, do I? So can I say and admit publicly and humbly like Paul in 1 Timothy 1, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst. Or do I think in my heart like Simon the Pharisee, I'm glad I'm not like her. There's no humility in that, is there? And when you don't know Christ and his merciful grace, you will judge others without humility. And God forbid we be a church like that. And this is actually why we need Christ. We want Christ to be preeminent here at Harvest. We want to remain unapologetic in the preaching of his word because we want to be unashamed in our adoration, lifting high the name of Jesus because we want to know him. 
Because if we don't, if he's not our first pursuit, our greatest desire, when we're not hungry to know him and to submit to him in humility, the temptation is going to be too great for us to look at the people who are coming in who don't look like us and they don't act like us and they don't think like us, they don't talk like us, they don't vote like us, they don't work like us. It's going to be too tempting for us to look at those people and to judge them as though we're better than them. And let's be honest, some people just make it too easy. But when we're not immersing ourselves in the mercy and the grace of God, we're going to struggle to shrink our self-righteousness and see reality. I'm no better. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? I don't deserve it. You see, in my pride, I like to think that I'm more deserving. But when you know Christ, you know better. So when you don't know Christ, you judge without humility. And then here's the answer. Write this down. When you love Christ, you welcome without judgment. When you love Christ, you welcome without judgment. So verse 40, um, Jesus is going to respond. He answers and he says to him, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. It's kind of easy to imagine Jesus' tone here, right? It's kind of like when your mom would call you out by your first and middle name, that's never good. So that's kind of what's going on here. Simon, i got to cre- correct some of your bad theology, and he's going to do it with a story problem. You guys remember doing story problems in math? You know what I'm talking about? Like if Susie has five oranges and she sells two of them, how many oranges does she have? You know what I'm talking about now? Like Jolie is going through all these story problems in in school right now, and it's no secret that I'm really bad at math, but it's kind of embarrassing when the third grade story problems are so complicated that I can't help her anymore, and it really kind of irritates me, because first off, I don't think I really know any Susie's, and it's none of my business what she wants to do with her oranges, and so why do we have to deal with these story problems? Listen, they're getting complicated, but uh, the cool thing is Jesus' uh, story problem here is kind of more probably on like a first grade level. Look at it here in verse 41. Here it is. A certain money lender had two debtors. So we got two debtors, right? Here we go. We got two debtors. Uh, one of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So the guy who owes 500 denarii, that is the equivalent of about 20 months worth of wages, The guy who owes 50, that's about the equivalent of two months' wages. And so I did a little bit of research here. The median household income in Fairfax County is just over $100,000, okay? I'm going to do some math. Could be wrong. I think they're right, uh, but we're going to do our best here. Uh, It's it's right around $104,000. So that means that the guy over here who owes two months' worth of wages, that's the equivalent of like, $17,000, or you could buy a uh, 2015 Honda Civic for that. It's kind of easy to imagine that somebody could have that amount of debt, right? Okay, that's the second guy. The first guy in that case would owe over $170,000. I mean, just kind of take your yearly salary and almost double it, okay? That's kind of the cost of about $10. Honda Civics. That is what we would call a significant amount of debt. And so here's the, here's the problem, right? Jesus says, which of them, when, when they couldn't pay, okay, so this isn't like they could, Dave Ramsey, them were way out of this. They couldn't do it. 
They needed help. I can't do it. And so it's paid. It's canceled. They don't have to pay any of it back. So which of them is going to love that money lender more? And Simon says, I love how he responds. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. This is Jesus just trying to make it obvious. I mean, if somebody canceled your car loan, that would be really cool. I mean, you'd, you'd be like, man, that's an awesome day. But if somebody cancels a debt that you could never pay, it's no wonder this woman is overcome in the presence of Jesus. It's no wonder that she is unashamed in her adoration. I love what Jesus says, verse 44. He turns to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? That's a rhetorical question, okay? Like he's not asking, do you literally see this woman? He's like, hey, hey, look at her. Stop, stop. Look at her again. I know you've already been looking at her. And I know what you see. I know what you've been thinking. But you don't see what I see. You didn't even give me the common courtesy of washing my feet. But look at the sacrificial and passionate act of worship of this woman. And so he turns to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. And she loves so much because she's been forgiven of so much. When you've been forgiven... When you have walked in and been exposed before a holy God and you know, man, I'm a mess. I'm the worst of sinners and yet I'm still forgiven. When you've been forgiven, you will love God. And when you love God, you want to be like him. You want to be like him. And think about how welcoming Christ is here, isn't he? Think about this. He welcomed even the Pharisee. He didn't normally associate with those guys. Got a problem with the way they live. He still went into his house. Welcomes a Pharisee. He welcomes a prostitute. He welcomes you. And he welcomes me. So are you going to be someone who is judgmental? Or are you going to be someone who is welcoming? The gospel is going to make all the difference. When you are forgiven, you will love Christ. And when you love Christ, you will welcome without judgment. Is that what we look like, Harvest? Is this true of us? We want this to be true of our church. If we were to tell the tale of two churches, I wonder which would we be. One is judgmental church. Maybe you've been to judgmental church. The minute you walk in the doors, uh, people start making assumptions about you and snapping pictures and posting them on social media and making fun of you and looking down on you because they think that you're, they're better than you are. That's how people think. I mean, I can only imagine what they would say about me if I walked in. I mean, like, did you, did you see that family? Did you see how many kids they have? Don't they know about birth control? You know, they're pro-life, right? And they probably homeschool. Did you see that guy? Like, did you see his shirt? I think I saw that on the rollback clearance at Walmart. And he said he was 32 years old, but with that amount of kids and that receding hairline, like, I never would have guessed that. 
Sign me up for that. Who wants to go to judgmental church? Anybody with me on that one? Nobody wants to be there, right? So what if we could be welcoming church where they welcome without judgment because they want to be like Jesus? So we've just seen it here, but I also want you to uh, turn over in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. How many of you want to be like Christ in this? He get, he's, like, he's given us an example here, uh, but Paul's even going to highlight uh, the, the deeper, the greater uh, story, the meta-narrative that really helps us understand Christ's example and what he's done for us. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 3, uh, Paul's going to tell us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what he does is he's going to give you the example of Christ. This is where he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. And Paul's telling us, I want you to imitate Christ. And if you want to be like Jesus, then you need to stop thinking so highly of yourself. You're not the stuff, okay? And stop comparing yourself to everybody else where you always come out on top. Stop measuring people up to some silly, superficial, superficial standard. Stop doing that and instead humbly count others more significant than yourself. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means you are better than me. That's what that means. You are better than me. And it does not matter who walks into this church. We are so glad that you are here and you are better than me. And if you want to be here, we want to welcome you without judgment. It does not matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what kind of a job you have. It doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. Your race doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you were on Saturday night. It doesn't matter what's hiding in your closet. I am so glad you're here, and you are better than me. Can we be a church like that? If we love Christ. Then this is what we do. This is what we do. See, we started this series, This Is What We Do. And we are joining uh, other churches around the world, especially within Harvest Bible Fellowship, uh, in this because we are so concerned that we would be a vertical church that exists for the glory of God. And we, we, we know that. We're here for him, right? We're here for him. But we also want to be a church that is welcoming and loving and forgiving, wanting to see other people come to know and to love Christ. And this week you're going to see this depicted in the movie Gavin Stone. I want to show you one last scene. This is a theme, and I think you might have heard it in the trailer the pastor's daughter is struggling with Gavin because, I mean, he's, he is a mess. And he is prideful, and uh, he clearly does not know Christ or demonstrate humility. And she would love nothing more than to put him in his place. But watch what, watch what her dad tells her. I was watching from the back. He's very good. Yes, Dad, he is good, obviously. 
but do we really want the most important part of the play to be done by a newcomer, especially somebody who brings all this attention? Since when is attention a bad thing for a play? But he seems so cocky. I'd love to not cast him just to show him that he can't get what he wants all the time. Look, hon, it's your call. I trust you completely, but I will say this. Yes, he has his quirks, and I'm not sure he completely understands all the things he says about his faith. But isn't this why we do what we do? This is what we do, church. That's why we were talking about this, because we don't want to be just about what we believe. We talk a lot about that. But how do we act? And we want to be a surprising community where people are welcome no matter what. I mean, we, we, we talk about this a lot. I, I realize you, you probably have neighbors, you have friends, you, you interact with them, and you hear it. People come in. This is a transient area, isn't it? It's kind of hard to get to know people. Everybody is so busy, and some people are only here for a season. And, and so there's kind of some natural barriers, and people have a hard time finding community. And we want this to be a place where people can come in and say, like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could belong anywhere. Like, I, yeah, I got, my, I got my office, I got my gym, I got my kids' sports team, I got this group of friends, I got that group, but I always feel like I have to live up and maintain their standards in order to be ex- accepted, and uh, they just want me for my money or what I bring to the table or uh, as long as I'm a benefit to them. And Listen, I don't even get it. I don't get why I'm, I feel like I don't even bring anything to the table here except I'm, I'm a mess, and yet you guys just, you welcomed me and you don't judge me. This is what we do. This is what we do. We welcome without judgment because we know and we love Jesus Christ. Can we do this? I'm telling you, honestly, we probably can't. In our own strength, we cannot do this. The temptation is too great to think that I'm so much better than those people. But that's why we've been praying this year, God work. God help us. Christ can do this in us. Only Jesus can. God, thanks for teaching us in your word, giving us an incredible example like this. We want to be a church that welcomes without judgment. We want to be a place where people can come and experience your presence. We want to be a place where people know your mercy and your grace, where they are welcomed, and it does not matter. They're afraid because of what they've done, where they've been, what they've said. We want to be the place where they can come and experience grace and mercy and a cheerful welcome. We are so glad you're here and you are better than me. God, would you help us to do that? Help us to be a church like that, that we would welcome as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Only you can do this. Only you can do it, but we're believing. And we're asking, expecting in Jesus' name. Amen.